My name is G. I serve as one of the elders here at the City Life Church. Um, don't forget, one church. <laughs> this morning, I have an honor to introduce to you our guest speaker. Uh, it is honor and privilege, really, uh, to introduce not only a friend, but also a mentor, also my teacher, also my Israeli father. The list goes on. But before we do, I, I, will, I will just say it this way. I've been known REA for past 12 years. And this morning, it's just on the way to the church. Um, you think after 12 years, you pretty much know about every story. But this morning, it says, no, gee, there's so much more. That said, there is no word promise mentioned in the Bible in Hebrew. So I was just thinking that because, you know, it's, it's not what he said in the promise. In the Bible, he says, we hear a lot about promises of God, but in Hebrew word, the promise has never been used. It's what God said. It changes quite a bit, but this is what happened this morning. So always always giving me something new. It's always a teacher and a student relationship we have, and, and there's so much more. But before I take up all of this time, let me just go straight into the introduction. Arya Bar-David is a husband, father of four children grandfather of 13 grandchildren. He is a Messianic Jew, which means he's a Jewish believer of Yeshua. Yeshua means Jesus. My goodness, there's so many explanations to this. A spiritual leader to many influential men and women in Israel and in around the world. He is a friend of a City Life Church, and we are privileged to have him as a guest speaker here this morning. Um, Arya was born in 1947 in Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem. Uh, before Israel's independence in 1948. His father was the first generation of Jewish believers in Israel, and the Bar David family is well known for the Messianic Jewish movement in Israel. In Israel. As a child, Arya was inclined to music, where he became one of the youngest double bass player in the Jerusalem Symphony, and ultimately led him to become an assistant director for the symphony. During the height of his music career, REA joined IDF, which means Israeli Defense Force, in the paratrooper unit and was introduced to the war in the Six-Day War in 1967. He continued to serve as a commander for his unit for multiple wars, including the Yom Kippur War in 1973, where he would serve along the future prime ministers of Israel, Ariel Sharon, and other leaders who will become high-ranking officials for the Israeli government. With an exceptional service and his brave leadership as a commander, Arya was recognized and honored, not only by the IDF, but also Israeli media. With all the accomplishment as a musician and a soldier, his greatest accomplishment was elsewhere. Arya would give up his music career, sell all of his family's belongings, and move to the kibbutz called Yarashmona. Kibbutz is a communal living as one of the founding members. He would spend next 25 years as a carpenter for the kibbutz that he belongs to while teaching the Bible to both Jewish believers and visitors around the world. Today, Arya is a tour guide, and he has led many of us in this church, and a lot of guests that we have this morning are part of that tour in the past. But if you have been with him in the past, you quickly realize that he's much more than a tour guide. He's a Bible teacher, 
but the most importantly, he's a man after God's heart. So without any further ado, let us give warm city life welcome to our friend, Arye Bar David. Come on up, Arye. Yeah, it's my privilege, my honor to be here with you. Mainly that I know that quite many of you have been already. By the way, who have been with me in Israel? Wow, 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 wow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, so I will look a little bit different today. Usually you see me dressed, you know, nonchalant, you know, on the mountains where I feel at home. And now you'll see me on the stage dressed nice. I look a little bit different. But the message is always the message. And the message of today is maybe the pillar of our faith. The message today is resurrection. Paul kept this point of resurrection maybe to the hardest people that he ever talked to. To the Corinthians. And sometimes you ask yourself, most of the chapters, he has 22 verses, 26, 32. And suddenly when he talks about resurrection, you cannot stop him. He's not looking on the watch how much time he has. He goes and goes and goes, continue 58 verses. You can understand that the resurrection for Paul was the strongest thing that was in his heart. Because if there is no resurrection, all our faith is fake. It is so, so basic things. And at the same time, he writes this to the Corinthians because you've heard there is a big group that don't believe of a resurrection. How can it be? Let me say a little bit more. For Jewish people, resurrection was not a new thing at all. Even the kingdom of God was totally new thing. They never heard this term, kingdom of God. But resurrection? You know, a big, the main part of the Jewish people called the Pharisees, Perushim, they believed in resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe. But the Pharisees believed. So even Paul before the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, before it, he believed in resurrection. How it will be? In what term? What is the meaning to change? To what to change? It was totally new for him also. Because again, kingdom of God was never exposed to the Jewish people before. When the Lord met Martha after Lazarus died, and Martha sent, sent the Lord to come, please come, my brother is so sick, you remember? And the Lord, what he did, he stayed to there more. Why? 
in order that Lazarus will die. And that's when he arrived, he was already four days in the grave. So what the Lord wanted, he wanted by the new term that he's giving to this world, which is called kingdom of God, to show a new term, which is resurrection. Because there, it's ever life. There, there is no end. There is no end, which means there is no death. So, what he told Martha, your brother will be alive. Now, how she responded, I know that in the last day he will be alive. Because she was a Jewish, she knew that the last, last day he will be alive. But he said to her something else, no, your brother will raise. And he we know all what happened. Lazarus! He cried out. Get out! And when Lazarus was getting out, again, what he, what he said, take his, tear him, right? I'm tear him. But in Hebrew, leatir is to lose. So in English, it's opposite, tear. So always it's a mix. Why? That he will not fall and die again. Because he was, Wrapped all his body. <laughs> so more physical than this can resurrection cannot be, right? And that's why Jesus immediately said, take all this garment away of him and let him be free. All were shocked. Remember, remember that the Pharisees, that the Pharisees, they watched all what happened they decided not only to kill Jesus, but also Lazarus. Because so many people came to see resurrection in their eyes. So resurrection is something that can be a terrible obstacle to the Jewish people. Why? Because they believed in resurrection, but because they didn't know how to put it in any frame, you know what? They not really believed in it. And that's why it became an obstacle to them. And that's why again and again, when Jesus just came to release the man with the legions, remember, legion of spirits, he just released him on the other side and he crossed and he came back to his city, Capernaum, people called him, called him, look, there is the daughter of Jairus, she is sick, and she's going to die. You know, she was really going to die. How we know? Because they already rented all the players' music. I mean, so beautiful to, to hear this music, but musicians also were called to, pray, uh, to play, I mean, lamentation music. And they were there already. And you remember what Jesus did. The moment they told him, the daughter of Jairus, she's almost there, come. He walked, 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 suddenly he stopped. Somebody touched me. And the people were shocked. Shocked. 
It shook. I mean, what did the minute somebody touched you? Look, Jairus' daughter. Very influential man. It was the same man, Jairus, that told the people there are six days to come to be healed. Don't come on Shabbat. Wow, people were, were afraid of him. And now his daughter is so sick, and they want to go to God to make him a gesture, right? That Jesus will do something to please him. And Jesus stops. Somebody touch me. But so many people run. No, somebody touched me. Oh, let us stop a moment and think about ourselves, right? Are we ready to stop and wait a moment because God tells us stop and wait? Or we are so in a hurry and mainly when hard situation around us that we cannot control ourselves. Look, the Lord, even the most hard moment, he never ceased to be controlled by his father. This is maybe for me the most amazing thing. He never ceased to hear voice of, of his father. What to do. And then when he continued waiting, waiting, what happened? One woman fell down because she understood she can run it away. And she confessed, it was me. And he gave her a good word. Your face has delivered you. Go in peace. Remember these three words. Lehi shalom, the Hebrew. Even in all these dramatic moments, he had a good word to give to, give to her. And now he started... Walking. Question, why all this event happened? Why? Why he stopped there and gave so much time with this lady in the middle of the most needed moment? Somebody has an answer to me? You ever thought about this? Why this is a story and a story, but it's the same story? We know why. Exactly what he did with Lazarus. He wanted her, the daughter of Jairus, to die. He was taking the time when she would give her, her breath. How I know it? Because now, the moment she died, he finished with the lady and he started walking. And as he started walking, there were people coming from Jairus and they're running, 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 running. Don't disturb the rabbi. Don't disturb the rabbi. The daughter is dead. And again, with the same calmness. No, the daughter is not dead. And you know, they're offended. What? You are going to tell us what is dead, what is alive? What is going on here? Yes. They declare, she is dead. No, <laughs> she is not dead. Like before, he said, somebody touched me, and they know. Now, he said, yes, she is dead. And what he did, all of them laughed. 
<laughs> Come on. She's not dead, huh? And he, the moment they laughed, the laughing is very important here. Now he's starting going to her. He's starting to go to the house and taking only the three most close. Peter, John, and James. All the rest outside. All the rest that are laughing outside. He entered inside. And the first thing, take all the mourners away. I want only the father and the mother. And there he came to the daughter. Taliata in Aramaic. In Hebrew, Biti raised up. And she raised up. Wow. It spread all over. But look the way that he did it. This is for me more important than the deed itself. The way, because the way will live forever. She will not live forever. Lazarus didn't live forever. They had to die. But the way is living forever. And we have to take in our life the way that Jesus did things. And the way that he related to resurrection. Because what is it this way? In my kingdom, in the place that I am coming from, there is no death. There's no death. So around me, there will not be death. There will not be sickness. There will not be sorrow. There will not be tears. And that's why, remember in the Sermon on the Mountain, blessed are those who are mourned. Blessed are those who cry because you will be comforted. comforted. And we know that Death is maybe the hardest thing that people carry in their life, a death of a beloved one. But what is giving here instead? He's giving something instead. Around me, there will not be death. I want to take two minutes to describe one of the greatest moments in my life at Yadish Monah. When we started Yadish Monah, almost... 40 years ago, uh, one of the most important things, you know, that I had with my brothers, right? We are seven, six brothers, one sister, and four of us are living there, is very seriously where to bury our father. Because our father was considered the, in the black list. There was black list and red list. In the black list, number one, missionary that turns people from their Judaism. I don't know how they said. Exactly what they said about Paul. You remember what they, they wanted to kill him, to kill him. They tried to kill my father several times, not one time. By burning, by attacking, I mean. But it was very clear declared when he will die, he will not be buried in a Jewish graveyard. He will be out of the fence. And we, as his children, that grew all our life, we understood that we have to take responsibility about this, and not by lawyers. And one of the greatest decisions that 
we did is to come and to start or build a kind of a kibbutz, messianic kibbutz, which is the only one in Israel. But there we will have a plot of ground to bury him. And that's what happened. When he passed away in 1991 during the Gulf War, you know, we just, Israel passed, you know, 40 missiles shot on us, right? I mean, it was not an easy time. I was commander with an, another two on more than 50,000 people, right? And all, you know, masks because of, we didn't know with their biological, chemical, we didn't know what to expect with all these missiles, right? So this was very, very, in a way, busy time. And my father went to the Lord then, what we can do. In the middle of all this Gulf War, you can't believe the joy that we could take our father. I was near him in his last moment. Take him and bring him to Yadish Munah from the hospital. And then, so, so, all the brothers, we dug, one of them dug at the night, a grave in the rocks. And we all carried, we built a coffin in the carpentry. Yeah, I was head of the carpentry. And we put him inside and we took him to the place at Yarish to be buried. It was the first one. You cannot believe the joy that we all had, right? To have a place to put his body. Because we knew that his spirit is for a long time is not there. So how we expressed it? By singing. We were all singing hymns, sorry, right? A cappella, but singing full of joy. And there were some unbelievers, you know, around, and they looked at us, how we dare to do it. We're bringing men to his burial, and we are singing. We're not hypocrites. We don't show something that is not inside. And I tell you, inside, there was joy. And when you have a joy, you cannot stop it. And the joy come out. And this was such a testimony to show to these unbelievers, for them to come later on, after a week, after a month, and sit and talk and talk about this joy. Knowing we knew that he is going to resurrect. Because we wrote on his stone the word that Paul said in, in a, the epistle to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have kept, I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he had one more thing, you remember? And now the throne is waiting for me. The everlasting throne. Resurrection is the most fund, fun, fundamental thing in, in, in all our, in everything, every part of our life. You know, people g going to Yom Kippur, 1973 war, going flying, it was very critical war. And we as a part of we had to change the war in a way with Ariel Sharon. And um, our unit, I was a commander in this unit, you know, the mission was to fly 
into Egypt and to jump there with paratroopers and to attack all the anti-missiles. You know, the, 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 the Russians' missiles were spread and they were already destroyed more than 100 airplanes of Israeli airport. And you know, God did miraculously open the way for me to give testimony. Maybe some of you have heard about it, some of you. So the DVDs write about this. And I could share to all my units. Unbelievable. Just before we went to the airplanes and to, to fly to this mission. We lost. Several were killed, of course. Many wounded. But the joy that I had this evening in this flying and all these days of wars. And people ask me, how can you carry this joy? I mean, are you not afraid? We're going to do a mission that the chance to get alive is very, very little. And I just share with them, my conscience is clean to meet the Lord now. Just like this, simple. And I tell you, I didn't, didn't, didn't have even one little frightening in my heart. To be crushed, to be killed, to be whatever. Nothing. It was not part in my, in my existence. Why? Because of resurrection. Because of resurrection. Because I know this, this flesh is going to be dust. Because it was born from dust. No one has permission, authority on my spirit except him. You see the point? No one in the spirit is going to get up, up, up. There is power, gravity power on every part of my body. Mainly before you jump, right? From aeroplane, believe me. <laughs> If the parachute doesn't open, it will not help you anything, right? Gravity power goes, works. But no gravity power on my spirit. Opposite. Like wood is going up on the water, my spirit will get out to the real place where it belongs. And it was so real. And not one day or two days or one week. I mean, all through this army, all these through hard paths, it, 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 you know, situation that our unit was deep in Egypt. Why? Again, because it was so strong. The faith that our parents were giving to me and I experienced in my life about what? About resurrection. Paul had the same thing. Paul was so, so living, living in his life the power of resurrection that when some people of the Corinthians said, nah, there is nothing like this. Come on. That you can see it, you cannot stop him. Paul is so angry. How do you dare to say it? All of faith is fake. All of this, you know. Come on, Paul, relax, relax. Relax. Always there will be people like this. You know why? Because they never experience the resurrection their own life. They never had the privilege to see him, to look on his face. They never had the privilege to die with him and to follow carrying their cross. These people 
totally will deny resurrection. There is much more important thing. Even though I'm living with this very, very strong faith every second in my life, I have to be humble enough to know who is around me. And to understand that they don't have this faith. And not to boast on them. You understand what I mean? Ah, you see, I'm not afraid. I'm not. Wow, wow, wow. I did it one time in the war, and God punished me. <laughs> wow, how he punished me. I did it one time. You know, we were passing the Suez Canal, and we got around 3,000 bombs, missile, on a yard of like 200, on 200 meters, which were every second a bomb is falling, every second, because they found a way, they found a way that we cross, you know, the Suez Canal in order to come, to enter to Egypt. And what happened, uh, first time in our army, duty, there was very strong, very command. You run, you run, you run. If your best friend is getting shot, is getting sharp nails, is falling, wounded, you don't stop and give him hand. You never, never have it in the Israeli army. I mean, to help wounded is number one. Number one. And look in all this situation, we were running to the other side, and people were so in amok, you know, to get out of this, so there was a trench with dirt, sewage, water. And some of my soldiers just entered into the drainage. And they thought that it will help them. I mean, it's only one inch, you know. <laughs> and the moment they raised up, and I looked at them, I couldn't stop. I started laughing like crazy. And then my conscience was beating me so badly. How I dared to do it. They don't believe in resurrection. They don't know what is resurrection. You see, they are afraid Till the middle, I don't know, every bone of their part of body is crying and crying and crying. And I am standing there, the big hero, and laughing. I felt so shameful. You can't believe. And few hours later, when we were continued, continued, and uh, there was a truck full of ammunition, and the truck got a shell inside. And you understand what is the meaning truck like this, full of ammunition that's exploding, exploding. And I was quite, you know, like 30 yards from the truck, and like I got it very strong. This is your end. You are going now to finish your life. And it was so real. It was so strong. And... I tried to raise my body to find a little bit shelter, shelter, you know. And I felt I cannot use my muscles. I started giving command to my body. Leg, get up. It didn't get. Stomach, come on. It didn't get. Hand, right hand, move. And I could not. 
And you know, the, 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 it bombed and bombed, but the smoke started getting with the wind, and the Egyptians were continuing to bomb the smoke. So we finished it, and I was alive. Believe me, what I felt in this seconds there, not seconds, minutes, it was a lesson for all my life. Never forget. As a believers, even though we are so, so confident about our resurrection, about our eternal life, never use it against other people. Never do it. Never. Because God will show you very quick that the moment you finish, you lose compassion over there, you cannot work in his kingdom. You cannot. I don't know, people, you know that time is coming to close. Uh, you know, people talk about me that I'm a humble man and so on. Believe me, you have to, to pass things in, in your life, a lot of things. And wars are humbling people. A war. You see, a war. It really humbles people. When you again and again find yourself in front of the mothers of the soldier, his wife, or his fiancée, and you have to explain why he is killed and not you. Because there's no other way why he is dead and I am not. In the same situation, the same place, on the same, you know, shelter, if you can call it, and he got it and not me. And he's here, and I'm here, and he got it, the bullet here and killed him. When you again and again meet people, and I had dozens of them, you understand who you are. You understand who you are. And even though inside you know that you're ready to be killed, in wars, of course, but God is keeping you alive because you are not living to yourself anymore. Totally not to yourself. You live for his only for his kingdom. You are living only because you are a tool in his hand. It has nothing anymore to do with you. You was killed in this trench, in this hand grenade, in this. I can name ten of them easily. And it makes you humble. You understand? Because you're not you anymore. Resurrection is something that is a treasure when you have it inside. It's, it's treasure. But don't use it. In wrong way. I want really. A, the last thing. Because we have to. There is a song that. My mother was teaching us. And I love it. And if you don't mind. It's okay. We use it. The song is called. He lives. He lives. And I'm sure some of you some of you know it. He lives. He lives. Right, Jesus lives. He walks with me and talks with me along like never. Thank you. 
Amen. Amen. I want, I understand our time is over, right? In the morning, I didn't know where to look. <laughs> so I looked, I gave signs, give me how many, you know, minutes, you know. <laughs> People didn't understand what I'm doing, right? Now there is a watch. I said one, no, I overcome it. Right, already two minutes. Yeah, and again, it's a joy for me. It's a joy uh, to be with you. Uh, I'm not saying a word that I didn't experience in my life. Again, I'm not saying any, any word that I didn't live it. You understand? And when I talk about resurrection, this was so strong in our family. When we were in Yom Kippur War, just one, two minutes, my mother looked on us, six of her boys, you know, two in the Air Force, one tank commander, three, you know, parachutists. She told us one thing. Sometimes I'm afraid even to say to people what she said to us, because people ask, well, how she felt? Remember one thing. You might be killed. War is war. Remember, you know what is going to be after if you are killed. But one thing, do everything not to take a life of somebody else. I don't know, think about this a moment. Think about this. Her faith in resurrection of her children, it was so solid. But her mind was on other people that don't have this. You understand this treasure in themselves so that we will not be the one to stop it from them. Uh, I know, I seldom I tell this. Seldom, very seldom. And this was really caused me to be one in the Israeli IDF to develop a total new way of shooting. I was expert. I trained hundreds of parachute commanders. This new shooting that you don't kill somebody, but you make him wounded. You understand? And people ask me why you are so, so like a missionary of, of this, right? The words of my mother. And I can't tell you God was with her. The first thing that we came after two months, I came first time home, and she looked on my eyes, and I said, Mother, I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> okay? Many wounded, I have to say. <laughs> but not killed anyone. Again, maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Maybe you don't understand. But it was so, so strong her words to me and to all my brothers. We're three paratroopers. Praise the Lord. He lives and we live with him forever. Amen.